Patchwork is a podcast from the Office on Violence Against Women at the U.S. Department of Justice in Washington. Patchwork offers a glimpse behind the scenes of a legal movement called the Violence Against Women Act, or VAWA. VAWA provides federal grants to help women at local, state, and national levels. Patchwork explains how VAWA awards are made, shows what happens after funds arrive in communities, and shares stories of help and hope. Patchwork brings you the voices of people on the front lines combating domestic and sexual violence. Our efforts to serve victims and hold offenders accountable create stories that knit us together and propel us forward. Welcome to Patchwork. There's a predictability of who might become dangerous with a gun, and when that becomes predictable, it then becomes preventable. How do we effectively keep those firearms out of the hands of individuals who've identified as probably likely to be violent in the future. Studies have shown that is going to result in a reduction in intimate partner homicide. As the nation looks for ways to prevent mass shootings, experts have spotted a common thread in more than half of the tragedies, domestic violence. Analyses of shootings where multiple victims were targeted, separating out what are commonly called drive-by shootings where bullets are sprayed from a moving car, shooters who kill family members, co-workers, and others who cross their enraged path are predominantly men, many with a history of domestic violence. A top priority at the Department of Justice is to prevent violent crime, so DOJ supports enforcement of the laws that take guns away from people convicted of domestic violence. U.S. attorneys are spearheading efforts across the nation to ensure that these laws are strictly enforced to protect people in their communities. Unfortunately, these laws are not enforced consistently across the nation. Some local law enforcement agencies are better than others at making sure a person convicted of domestic violence surrenders his weapons as required by law. To assist communities that are trying to better enforce these laws, Funding from the Office of Violence Against Women helped create the National Domestic Violence and Firearms Resource Center in 2013. In 2016, the center introduced the Safer Families, Safer Communities website to address the intersection of domestic violence and firearms. Today, we're joined by David Keck, who is the project director for the Resource Center in Minneapolis, Minnesota. David provides training and technical assistance on enforcement and implementation of firearms prohibitions. His bio is on the show notes on our website, but I want to note that David is a former public defender who still practices criminal defense and family law. He has also served for nine years as court commissioner for Winnebago County in Wisconsin and helped craft that state's protocol for removing guns from the hands of people who are convicted of domestic abuse. David joins us by phone. David, thanks for taking the time to chat with us today. Sure. We have a lot to talk about, so I'm just going to jump right into it. Why do people reach out? What gets a community's attention and motivates them to contact you? Well, um, unfortunately, sometimes it's, a, it's the aftermath of a tragedy, and that's what we try to avoid. Um, but it's the reality. I mean, there are communities where there's someone has been um, hurt or you know, killed with a firearm and sort of in the aftermath, someone, somebody says, what can we do to prevent this from happening again? That's not the only one. There are a lot of, also are a lot of people out there who are saying, we need to do something about this before it happens in our community. 
So, um, you know, it's, it's, it's a lot of different people, but it's, 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 it just takes somebody who says it's wrong. Um, we don't, we don't think that, that people should have firearms if they're, if they've been, you know, determined to be dangerous. What can we do to, to take those guns away or to keep the guns out of their hands? So it's really a mixture of a lot of different people. It's an opportunity for prevention, and it sounds like what you're saying is when people recognize that that exists and they look for a way to, to deal with it, that's, that's really um, a way that they can try and reduce violent crime in their community. I mean, that's, that's exactly right. People um, recognize that, that research has been done on it, and there is a, um, there's a predictability of who might become dangerous with a gun. And when, it, when that becomes predictable, it then becomes preventable. And so that's really, I guess, sort of the very core of what this is all about. You know, that's a great point. Um, these Some of these research um, reviews of mass shootings recently have found that domestic violence really is a common thread in, you know, half or more of these mass shootings over over recent years that seems to be what you're speaking about that it is there is a predictability here there's a predictability uh yeah and mass shootings are a very a very uh, interesting topic and if you want we can dive into that yeah i would i mean i really i i to me it's very interesting that uh to look at some of these um mass shooting episodes uh, in hindsight over recent years, the way folks have done. I, as a layman, I had thought that, you know, mental illness would be the common thread. And it's really interesting to see that um, domestic violence is something that is in there. And some of these researchers have called for better enforcement of these gun laws. Right. So, um, if you want to take a few minutes, we can talk about that. Please. First of all, um, we probably should clarify some terms here. Mass shooting is really a, 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 a sort of an inaccurate uh, label for this phenomenon, um, at least in my opinion. So most people say a mass shooting is three or more or four or more people shot in the same incident by the same shooter. That's the mass shooting definition. Uh, there is a a large percentage of this type of shooting incident that has no known shooter, that is a, it's an epidemic. Um, and it happens on the streets, mostly in, in inner cities, or like what they call it, more of a better term, a drive-by shooting. Um, and I think if you, if you follow something like a mass shooting tracker, you'll see there's probably 30 or 40% of the mass shootings have no known shooter. So there's that, there's that, phenomenon out there. That's not what we're talking about when we're talking about EV and, and, and mass shootings. The largest percentage of mass shootings that take place in our country that, that are EV related also don't make the news. Generally speaking, it's a man who shoots his children or his, his girlfriend or wife's or ex-wife's children first and then shoots her and then shoots himself. That, that's the, sort of the, the, the most common uh, most common uh, mass shooting. Again, that's not really what the public talks about. The public talks about these third, this third area of mass shootings where someone uh, 
shoots shoots people in, in the in out in public at, at a restaurant at a theater or, or where that happens. The police are involved. The police sometimes are, are victims of these shootings. Strangers are frequently shot at the same time. Uh, that is what I think the public, when the public says mass shooting, that's what they're generally talking about. And the, the media, I think, talks about those as well. Those are, again, interesting, like, as you said, those are, interestingly enough, that, that subcategory is about, like you say, about half of those are, are, are somehow related either to uh, they're either domestic violence is either the catalyst for the for the event, or there's history of, of the shooter having, um, you know, domestic violence uh, perpetration in, in his background. Again, these are these are primarily men uh, that do this. So that's what we I think that's kind of what I think the public is really focused on. Try to remind people that the majority of these mass shootings are, are they take place inside someone's residence. Usually it's the usually it's the victim's home where she's at home with her children. Twenty-five uh, percent of of mass shooting victims are are, are children, uh, and usually it's you know the shooter knows the kid. But what kind of captures the, the the public imagination here is this uh, potential that that as a as a citizen of the, of the country we could walk into a into a public place and be shot by a um, by somebody who's who's really motivated by by, by domestic violence, and I think that's um, that's definitely a concern. I think in 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 some ways the mindset of the individual who is going to, for example, uh, exert control over his intimate partner is in lots of ways the same mindset as the individual who commits a mass shooting is there's a there's a need for there's a kind of a need for that 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 um exercise of control it's a it's kind of an uncontrolled anger issue um and it there's the overlap in the in, in the and the um the similarities between those 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 types of, of, of individual, I think, is uh, is something that ultimately will be, I think, you know, somehow scientifically, psychologically uh, documented. At this point, I don't think we have known enough about it, but I think it's a it's kind of on a common sense level. I think that the motivations are, are kind of the same. So. Dave, when you say that, I agree there there may not be sufficient scientific evidence for us to state that as strongly as we would like, but there's something intuitive about what you just described. I really picture almost layers here um, as, we, as we look at a community and we look at someone who is a potential threat. Um, there is what I was just envisioning when you were talking is a mental health layer, and then there's the criminal justice layer. Um, and you were talking about this person's mindset, the control, the anger that somewhat could be somewhat predictive of a violent attack. And it, I, I just I just began to think yeah. about this as an intervention point with criminal justice. It's a little bit different than mental health. If we if we see something, say something in our community, um, it seems like criminal justice in domestic violence is an opportunity for us to act. 
you know, as the nation seeks to find some remedy, some solution to the this gun violence problem, um, it, it strikes me that you're talking about something that we're all looking for, a common sense approach, something that is recognizable, something that is actionable. What right. What is it like when a community comes to you and says, we want to do something about this? What can we do? What What kind of tools do you have for them? Well, I, that's a great question. We generally start with, um, what do your state laws look like? Let's take a look at your statute to see what it says. So, so many of the of the communities that we've worked with over the past few years have come in uh, with you know with a, with a lot of of, uh, of expectations that they're going to get this taken care of. And a lot of them end up um, just sort of falling off the falling off the the, the, the the radar because somewhere along the line they, they run into some resistance that they can't overcome. And this is a kind of a big topic for us. It's it's uh, you know it's very frustrating. I can tell you that there are only about probably three or four objections that you hear that you hear every time in every community. It's the same objection to hear every single time. The, the, the first one is you hear every place you go is a, is a storage. How, if we take those guns away, how are we going to store those guns? There are other things like maybe funding or something like that, but I, I can tell you funding isn't, isn't, isn't really an issue anywhere. Um, and people put up different like, like legal challenges, but these have all been dealt with. Um, but I'd say storage is like kind of the biggest one. Uh, the inertia that people have about just not wanting to do this, and some people also say, well, it's not clear from our statutes who is really responsible. Is the sheriff left to do it? Is it the police department? Is it the court? These are all very sort of very simple uh, questions to answer, but those are the sort of the, the same arguments that you hear uh, everywhere you go. Storage is like the, the number one, and it's really it's a non-issue. It really, it really is. It's a non-issue because once people start to think about it and find the resources, it's it's doable. Well, well here's the here's the thing. So I was a I was a public defender for a number of years before I was I was for 13 years, and then I was a court commissioner for 10 years. So I kind of been in this in this legal world for a number of years. I can tell you, uh, if a if a deputy sheriff's deputy, for example, uh, goes out. And the civil warrant, or you know, on somebody for being a felon in possession of firearms, and arrest him, searches the house with a search warrant, finds 30, 35 guns. They would take those guns, show them to the the five o'clock news at night, you know, put them out there, and they'd find a place to storm. I have seen, I've seen uh, people's cars be impounded as evidence. I've seen boats. I've seen huge objects that they're taking into, into, and they never say in a criminal case, we can't store all those. From my perspective, if a, if a county, if a community had to rent a warehouse to fill with illegal guns, that would be a really good problem to have. I mean, I think that would be a good problem. They have more, you know, more guns than they can store. If taking those guns out of those people's hands is, you know, studies have shown that is going to that is going to result in a, in a, in a reduction in, in the partner homicide. And, you know, probably mass shootings like we're talking about. 
officers being killed. It's been a while since I took a gun class. I grew up in Texas. I grew up around guns. One of the themes of gun instruction that I got was you must be a law-abiding citizen. Right, right, right. It seems like we're on the same page in this country, whether no matter what side of the gun debate you're on, that we want to be in a law-abiding society. Exactly. The, the concept of what does, a, what does a survivor of domestic violence do, uh, you know, that's such a complicated formula to start with. When you introduce firearms in there, you add a whole, an additional, uh, very heavy layer to the sort of the, the, the options of the analysis that a, that an advocate and a, and a, and a survivor have to go through or a survivor by herself has to go through on, you know, talking to a survivor of domestic violence, uh, about, about guns is something that's that's, again, a very complicated uh, matter. The children are in danger, you know, the, the police officers are in danger if they, if they respond. You know, family members could be in, in danger. These are, these are important discussions to have with the victim, but it's important at the same time not to put the survivor in a position of having to uh, protect the you know, everybody else from this, from the, from the, the guy with the gun. The guy with the gun is the one who really should be bearing the burden of, uh, of the responsibility here. So, again, what do you do on the street level? What do you do on, a, on, a, on an individual basis when you have domestic violence and you have a firearm? That is such a complicated, uh, you know, a complicated analysis that people have to go through. But the reality is, Survivors will do whatever they think makes them feel safest. And sometimes that's going to the police. Sometimes that's going to court and asking for a protection order. Uh, sometimes it's doing nothing. Sometimes it's running away. Sometimes it, it's, you know, talking to a family member about it. It, it all depends on what they think is going to make them the safest or, or keep them, I should say, uh, present the least amount of danger to them. But... There's no, there's no easy formula. There's no easy answer for those people. Um, it's, it's not, it's not easy. But what I, what I think of as you're saying that, Dave, is you know, in this Me Too era, the post Cosby, Coast Weinstein era, we're, we're more aware as a society about the impact of sexual violence on the vulnerable. And if we want to help survivors, right? as you were speaking, I was just thinking, I was talking to a survivor recently who was telling me about the fear of a gun being in the hands of her attacker who knows where she lives and knows where she works. And, you know, if we can help as a community, it seems like there is a responsibility to just enforce the laws that are on the books to offer them a level of protection to try and mitigate that fear. I completely agree with you about that. Um, and if you've got a solution to how to do that, I, I would love to hear it. Um, and I'm not trying to be funny about that. I'm, I'm, I'm totally serious about that. Um, we'll throw that out to our podcast listeners. That's why we're doing this, because we want to expand this conversation. We don't have all the answers, but 
we are all aware that this is a problem. And as we've seen with recent events, studies, we, we have more knowledge. And if one community can learn from the tragedy of another, you know, you said communities come to you after they've had a tragedy. If, if, if before a tragedy happens, if we can learn best practices, if we can recognize that this actually does reduce violent crime. Right. And, and you know, it, it, it really starts with, in my opinion, it starts with the judiciary. It starts with the legal system. If they're, you know, if you're in a state where uh, the state law requires the court to order the respondent to surrender firearms, then that's what the court should be doing. I think it's at the same time, this is something that I talk about a lot, is uh, don't build an expectation in a, in, a, in a survivor of domestic violence that guns are going to be taken away if she files for a protection order because that may not be happening in your community. You know, your, your, your local courts may not be doing that. So if you build up that expectation, there's a, there's a real danger that, uh, you know, survivors, if they start pursuing somebody's gun, are going to put themselves in more danger. I do believe, ultimately, uh, the, you know, the, the, the public sentiment is going to, I think, at some point tip to where people are, are, are willing to, to embrace this, you know, and, and look for, for, for solutions to it. But I just don't think we're there yet. What's missing uh, throughout the country is just the will to implement these. Uh, and and that, I've said that, I don't know how many times I've said that said over and over again. If you have the will to do this, you can do it. And you can do it legally, you can do it fairly, you can do it where you don't offend anybody's constitutional rights. I think you can reduce the... That's probability of partner homicide taking place. I think there's another, again, another layer of complexity here. There are uh, statistics, there are numbers that we can we can gather and we can and we can and we can analyze those about how many uh, you know how many intimate partner homicides take place, how many intimate partners are shot with a gun. What we don't know is how many people are coercively controlled in their lives by the presence of a firearm that may never be loaded or may never even be fired, but is still still present in the home or in the situation where, where you know, where complete control is, is, is being exerted just by the presence of a gun. That's a great point. Um, the analogy here is, uh, you know, a bank robbery. Uh, you could commit a bank robbery with a, by walking into the lobby of a, of a bank with a gun. You don't have to point it at anybody or shoot it. Uh, you know, the, the very presence of the gun is enough to to intimidate everybody, you know, naturally uh, to comply with your, with your demand. That's a great point. Um, so I just want to ask you one more question. If a community has, is mustering that will to act, uh, it looks like they can come to you and they can get a lot of tools, talking points, yep. protocols. Yep, what, what, in a nutshell, what do you have to offer? If, if I'm in a community and I think we may have enough stars lining up to, to really make a difference here, what, what can you do to help me? We, I mean, we offer the, the full range. We don't charge anything for this. It's what we do. We can, we can do a consultation by phone. We can come out to your community. We can put together trainings. We can put together, you know, 
a, a protocol process, uh, meetings, anything you want to do, we're we're prepared to do any of that. We can just offer you if you just want, um, you know, to look where, where you know for resources you can look into. You can do that. You can always consult with us in, in any at, at any level, whether it's the phone call, whether it's a meeting, anything like that. We uh, we're committed to doing this. This is what all this is what we do. Um, and we I think we've got a lot of you know helpful solutions to a lot of these problems and we're, we're willing to work with anybody and everybody that wants to come forward and, 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 and put this into place. Sounds like it's an open door. Can just anyone call you? Uh, yes. Okay. Yes. Okay. Excellent. Dave, thank you very much for your time. Really appreciate it. Sure, thank you. Thank you for listening to Patchwork. Please let us know what you would like to hear on a future episode by sharing your questions with us. You can tweet us at OVWJustice, send an email to patchwork at usdoj.gov, or give us a call at 202-307-6026. If you like this podcast, please help us expand the conversation by sending this episode to someone you think may enjoy hearing what we shared. And if you would like to help us reach even more people, please take a minute to review this episode. Thanks for joining us. Thread by thread, we offer insights through Patchwork.